Thank you for what you will do today. Thank you for healings that will take place. Thank you, Lord, for men that you will give direction today. Thank you, Lord, for ideas bettered from heaven in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for salvation this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that person that will break that habit by the power of God. In the name of Jesus, that addiction will be broken by the power of God. Just by the entrance of the word of God, you will discover two, three years down the line that you're no longer addicted. In the name of Jesus. Lord, will bless your name forever. In Jesus' name we have prayed. All right, the Lord is good. So let's take our declaration of understanding as we always do. Let's take it from the bottom of our hearts so that God uh, we do as we, have, we are declaring right now. Are you getting me? All right, let's take it one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that is what God will do for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It will happen again today that the word will enter your heart. Amen. It will give you light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal you in every area. Amen. And it will make you more and more, more than ever before, like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please take your seat. The Lord is good. The book of Romans chapter 8 is where we are going to read from, to continue from exactly where we stopped last time. This is what salvation is. It's important we understand what salvation is. Sometimes people don't know, know what it means to be saved. And I'm going to try to explain again further today. There are three dimensions to salvation. So let's know what each one means. There are three aspects to salvation. So that as we are walking as Christians, we will understand exactly what we mean when we say, I am saved, or I am being saved, or I will be saved. Sometimes people know just one aspect of a truth, and they get into a lot of argument. That's all the... Um, 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 illustration is still perfect. Blind people will touch an elephant. And then they ask each person, describe an elephant. The one that touched the ear has a different description from the person who touched the trunk. That's different from the person who touched the legs. And then the person who touched the sides. And at the end of the day, they argue vehemently on what an elephant really is like. When the truth is that they only saw one aspect or they were able to feel only one aspect of the elephant. The fact is that the elephant has the ear, so whoever touches the ear should hear from the other person what the other aspect of the elephant is like. It is when you hear different dimensions, you get a whole picture of what is really going on. Now, it's very important. So many people, they've touched the trunk of the elephant, and they are arguing with the person who says that the elephant has this big flappy thing, that's what an elephant is. And that one is so angry that they cannot see that the elephant is a big wall made of leather, because it touched the side of the elephant. And that's often what we hear. Uh, th- that's why we get into arguments sometimes about salvation. Salvation is not just one thing. 
in the scriptures, the way salvation is used is in three areas. It's very important we get that point. Salvation is used in three areas in the Bible. So if I'm describing the fact that we are being saved, you go, you may start arguing with me that no, we have been saved. Do you understand? Which is not, you are right in one dimension, but I'm also right in another dimension. Somebody else may be describing that we will be saved. Do you understand? Because this is revelation, we say that now has salvation come. If salvation, salvation is coming now, it means that it was not there before. Again, it's not that the person is wrong. It's just that he's describing a different aspect of salvation. And God is working on the different aspects in the lives of all the people that are his own. So we just need to understand it. Some, you know, I said last time, I don't want to get into this argument at all throughout my teaching. I will try and resist it unless the Holy Spirit imposes upon me that I must say it. The issue of once saved, always saved. Why don't I want to get into that argument? Because sometimes you ask yourself, what is the purpose of this argument? What is the purpose? What is the purpose? How will it affect my life? Is it going to make me... And that's the unfortunate aspect. Some people hold on to a doctrine, and as a result of it, they start excusing misbehavior. Some of the people that hold on to some of those doctrines tightly, you look at their lives. You know, Jesus said, by their fruit, you understand, you will know. That is, there are people who claim one thing. What is it producing? Listen to what I want to say carefully. Any doctrine, any doctrine that is not improving the godliness in your life, no matter how accurate the letters are, is false. Any doctrine that is not improving your ability, you understand, to please God more than before, no matter how accurate the letters are, is false. Any doctrine that is not producing Christ-likeness in you more than before, no matter how accurate the letters seem, is false. Any doctrine that is not improving your, the, the manifestation of your divine character in your life, no matter how accurate the doctrine is, letter-wise, is false. Why? The spirit is wrong. The spirit is wrong. I hope you're getting my point. Now, what I want to say, what, what I was trying to say is this. You see, when people hold on to some things, and they now say, okay, I can never lose my salvation. Like, remember, I'm not trying to argue it, you understand? But what I keep on saying is this. The Bible says, let him that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he falls. So whether you can lose your salvation or not, just take heed so you don't fall. Then the argument is relevant. He said, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, what, no matter what you believe, is a quality, if the qualities of Christ-likeness are yours and are increasing. If you can focus on that, then the argument is relevant. I hope you're getting my point. Now, however, the argument becomes relevant if you want to tell me that somebody who denied Jesus is still my brother. I'm sorry, you. I hope you're getting my point. Because Jesus said, Paul said, if we deny him, what will happen? He will deny us. That's what the Bible says. But my emphasis, please, is this. In your life, what is that doctrine producing? Focus on one thing. Even though you have been saved, you have to continue being saved. That's what I want you to focus on. That's why Paul said, work out your salvation. Not with confidence. You know, you must understand. (laughs) Some things may sound nice. You understand? But what did the Bible say about it? What did the apostles and the prophets that Jesus left for us, 
to teach us the truth about this Christianity, this salvation that we have, this fellowship we have in Christ Jesus, what did they say? He did not say, work out your salvation with confidence. What did he say? Work it out with fear. People say that fear is not to be afraid. It means to reverence. All right, fine, thank you. I will just oblige you that even though you are not right, fear does not mean reverence. It means fear. But let's even assume for a moment, it means reverence. He said, with fear and what? Trembling. So if we add that one to it, you realize that it didn't say work out your own salvation with confidence. Let me tell you what it means. It simply means that you don't want to lose something. Paul said, I went back to, um, to those who were there before me so that I want to be sure, all right? What's my purpose? So that I'll be sure I did not run in vain. This is a man who saw the Lord. This is a man who saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he said, let me be sure that I did not run what? In vain. All these years I've been running. Now, this man had been preaching for over 10 years. So let me just be sure that I didn't do it what? Wrongly. I did not just waste all, this, all, all these years. That's what it means to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Let me tell you again why you have to be afraid. Because the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ, that even though he was a son, yet he learned obedience from the things that he what? He suffered. Now bear that in mind. And he said he cried in the days of his flesh. I wanted to quote that one actually. That he cried to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he what? He feared. Now listen to me. If death was not a possibility, why did he need somebody who could save him from death? You must understand what he was afraid of. People say, I've seen Bibles use the word because of his piety. No, the word is fear. Let me see, what was he afraid of? Let me explain it. It's not hard. It is that the eternal purpose of God must not fail in my hands. I want you to understand that. It is that the eternal purpose of God, you must understand. See, let's, let's explain this one clearly. Many of us, you know, Jesus has really suffered for us and he has tried for us. So we get, a lot, we get away with a lot of things. Now, you sin, either deliberately or mistakenly or accidentally. Then you ask for forgiveness. You are forgiven and life goes on. He never had that privilege. Even though God could forgive, one person he could not forgive was Jesus. Not because he did not have the ability to forgive him. It's just that once you require forgiveness, you are no longer a worthy sacrifice. I hope you are getting my point. That is, once you have to come to God and say, I'm sorry, that means you will now have to be pushed from your own sins, which we sacrifice now. So you must understand, when you understand the importance of your life, you know, in my own little way, you know, sorry, I just have to use myself as an example, okay? Not because I'm perfect, but I'm me. I know me very well, and I understand some things about myself. Do you understand that? Now, my name as a person, okay? My office as a minister now, I mean, when they call me Pastor Bank, Pastor Bank, it has been associated with Christianity. Do you get my point? Right now, I speak for the Lord Jesus. I don't mean for the church now. What I mean, I speak for the Lord Jesus. What I mean is this. Anything I do, it tells on the person of Christ Jesus. I hope you are getting my point. 
Now, and the reason is simple. Because, not because I'm small, special than the rest of believers. It is because I stand every time and I speak for Christ. Like now, from different parts of the world right now, people are watching this. I hope you're getting my point. Yeah, people are watching it. They don't expect me to entertain them. If anybody left whatever he or she has to do to log in, no other through Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter to watch us at this moment, it's, because, it's not because you're jobless. If you're a Nigerian especially, it's costing you money. Every minute you're paying a network to be able to watch. You don't expect me to be cracking jokes. You don't expect, and of course, we can say things that make people laugh, but you tune in to hear what the Lord is saying. Whether you like it or not, I have become a face of the Lord before you. And listen to me, I recognize that. So one of the prayers I pray, eh? I pray this once in a while, often enough. God, please don't let me disgrace you. It's a prayer I pray. Please don't let me disgrace you. Sometimes people annoy me in traffic. Because it has happened before. You want to get angry. And somebody says, hey, Pastor Banky. You know, suddenly you calm down. <laughs> and one day my wife and I went to the mall. The person may even be watching now. <laughs> and one day they saw me and screamed. Oh my God. I went to a place once. I walked in. Somebody came and met me. You are Pastor Banky? I said yes. You know what she said to me later? He said, when you came in, I thought my God walked in. I'm not joking. He said, it was as if my God walked in. They were in an exam hall. I, just, I was supposed to see somebody in a university. So he told me where to find the person. So I, the person was taking the exam. So before they started, I just said, please. They pointed the person out to me. I'm supposed to collect a piece of paper from you. So another person taking the same exam saw me from across the hall. And said, oh, God walked into the exam hall today. I'm not joking. <laughs> That's a, once I went to minister somewhere. I finished. One guy said, he came to me. He said, now I know how it felt. When the Bible says that he ministered as one having authority. He said, now I understand the feeling those people had sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. And I was teaching on something I didn't think was very important. So I said to the Lord, please, don't let me disgrace you. No matter how grace I grace, I hope I'm a Nigerian English. That is, no matter how mad I become, please, Lord, don't let me disgrace you. You know what they call fear and trembling. So, there are things you offer me. I think whatever comes up, my own, I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about what I represent. I had a discussion with my wife some time ago. I said, hey, your life has changed though. You know, your life will just be changing slowly until you realize it has changed. I said, now, wherever you go, just know you can't. Now, it's not, just, it's, not, it's not a family name now, as in, you know, our family name, but the name of the church of Christ. You represent him wherever you go. Whatever you do, it's not just you that did it. It's they. Them. When you want to refer to it, that's how Christians behave. And if you read your Bible very well, God likes it like that. He likes to be named by people that human beings can identify his best name throughout the scriptures that he publishes everywhere is always tied to somebody. 
When he gives you a, a different kind of name, he's dealing with his people. What I mean is this. If he says, I'm Jehovah this, he's talking to Israel. He's talking to Moses. But when he wants to announce himself to those who are not acquainted with him, he links the name to somebody. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jacob described him to Laban. He said, the God of my father Abraham and the fear of Isaac. He's always linked to somebody. And when he finally wanted to do the final linking, Peter went to the house of Cornelius. He said, you've heard of Jesus Christ. He needed to describe somebody they knew. How God anointed him. He linked God to the person they knew. So, throughout the New Testament, you hear him described as God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you look at Jesus alone. Look at yourself. As the Father sent me, so have I sent you. So, what God wants is people that he can describe, or people can describe him through. So, which God do you serve? He wants people to know him by knowing you. That is why this argument of uh, even if I sin, my salvation is intact is a stupid argument. You are not getting the point. That is, you are not getting the point. You don't understand what God is talking about. If you cheat people, you are disgracing him. It's not, it's, we're not, it's, no, we're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about your mission on the earth, who you reflect. It is a, who's your father? You just disgrace your family. Yeah, you are bragging that my father can never deny me. You are a useless son. Look at you, disgracing your father. And you are taking your confidence in the fact that he will never deny you. I sent you out to go and represent me. Your confidence is that I'm always your father. Is that what we're talking about? We're saying when you get there, they don't know me. They will never see me. Read your Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, he explained it to us. He said he's the exact representation of his nature. That is, if people need to know who God is, they look for somebody around. Not somebody rubbing himself in the mud. Say, I know who my father is. We know you know who he is. We know he knows who you are. We're just saying we will never find him the way you are behaving. We will be lost. All kinds of jokers will come and claim they are speaking for him. He has no son. Now, when you're talking about son, you're not talking about male or female now. Well, the, the concept of sonship is somebody who the father trusts in so much that he will send when nobody else will be effective. That's what it means to be a son. He sends servants. One servant after the other. They maltreated them. He said, okay, now, let me send my son. So when we're talking about being a son of God, that is the concept. It is not the concept of we can chop large in our father's house, there's plenty of food. No, the concept of being a son is that, listen, in fact, let me be like this. A son hmm, is a purified servant. A servant that has served so well. Do you get what I'm saying? It's the height of being a servant. It's not as if I'm a son, you know, I'm superior to servants. That is true. If you want to just look on the surface, but look at the depth. You pass through servanthood to get to that point, that true sonship. When, Jesus, when God said concerning Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
That is sonship from experience. That when God said, he said, listen, see this fellow? He represents me in every area. Satan can't get him. I don't mean Satan can't take his money. That's not the point. Satan has taken his money before. It's how did he re- react? When I say Satan can't get him, it doesn't mean Satan cannot make his car enter into a ditch. I let Satan do such things to him once in a while. The other I was, I was reading my Bible. Something hit me. He said, he fed you with manna. Sorry, he made you hungry, then he fed you with manna. I said, Jesus is Lord. An aspect of my life became clear. There are things that will have disappointed you. God said, no, I am the one making you hungry. Let me see what he will do. He said he wanted to know what's in your heart. That's why I made you hungry. That's why I allowed you to go to disappointments. That's why I delayed your salary. That's why you confessed and confessed and nothing happened. You went to rewrite the confession. <laughs> you don't realize I'm making you hungry. I want to see what's in your heart. I want to see how you react. Please, I hope you're getting what I'm going to explain here. We're talking about what salvation is. So sometimes when Christians have some arguments, I feel like they don't get the point. Don't, don't sit on it. I have my opinions. Not my opinion. I have scriptures. But I don't want to sit on some of those things. Let's go to higher things. Like I said the other time, our brother asked me, people said, that Abraham told lies. I said, Jesus never did. I'm not saying that Abraham was an evil person. I'm just saying, he said, fix your eyes on who? On Jesus. That the Bible just shows us that the saints were not perfect people. So that gives us hope. But it's not saying we should emulate their imperfections. Do you get my point? That's what people don't understand. You know, they, I, I like to drop things once in a while. Like, I've had the, people have had this argument before that the Bible says that, um, can a man marry two wives? So, they say the Bible says, a deacon would be what? A husband of one wife. So, you see, since I don't plan to be a deacon. That's the argument. Except that, you see, we miss the spirit. We're just going for the letters. What was he saying? A deacon must be an example of good behavior. That's all he was saying. So don't go and hide behind. He said, be husband of one wife. I've already explained that one. What that meant is he must be a man of one woman. That's literal Greek. He must be a man of one woman. Which means he has one wife. He doesn't have any girlfriend. He does not consult with temple prostitutes like they used to do those days. Those who are not Christians. He has one wife. He's a man of one woman. But my emphasis, which is why I brought it up, okay, is this? No, Paul's emphasis actually, not even mine, is that it's supposed to be an example of godliness. So those who want to use that argument for you, ask them, Dickens, must not be given to wine. So the rest of us can be given to wine. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> those who want to use that argument. He said, no, that is just for Dickens. Hey, wait, listen, the other things he said, he must have an honest report outside. So the rest of us can have evil reports. This, no, he wasn't trying to argue. Uh, can, what he was trying to say is that you are going to appoint representatives who will be examples for the rest of the church to follow. What am I trying to say? So instead of us looking for arguments on, of, that will make us go downwards, the Bible expects to look upwards. Yes, Abraham lied. Must I? Jesus did not. 
But I have hope that even though I lied before, God will forgive me. And I will move on to higher things. But I won't use that as a, as a, as a crutch now. That anytime I want to lie, I remember that Abraham lied. Lying people will still get to heaven. No. And of course, if you want to lie like Abraham, get ready for the consequences also. We don't want to discuss that now. Just by the way, just by the way, don't think you will disobey God and say sorry. I like to let people know it doesn't work. If you deliberately disobey God, that your sorry will never work. It won't throw you into hellfire, but you will suffer for that thing. It will make you pay. It will make you pay. That's what they call just recompense of reward. You will look at it, okay, that one you did. There's no trouble. Sit down. Lord, I've said sorry. Me too, I've heard sorry. Why do people think that once they say God must, God must obey? People think that anytime you ask somebody something by faith, God must give it to you. It's a lie. It's only a father that doesn't have a brain that gives you everything you ask for. A true father sometimes will say, my guy, I'm not giving you. Why? It's not good for you. That's a matter of fact. Moses came to him and said sorry. God said, I hate sorry. I've forgiven you. And so I entered the promise. I said, no, no, no. That one is a no-go area. The third time he came and mentioned it, God said, let me not hear about it again. Why, why, why did Jesus fear? That's why I went to all of that. He recognized that. Huh, let's talk on human terms or in human terms. This is something we have planned for thousands of years. Have you ever seen, you know, something I look at maybe like World Cup. And they'll tell you it's taken off by, let's say, local time Nigeria, 5 p.m. All right? Azumi is holding in, let's say, Brazil. Those who know how to plan, for four years, they plan for that 5 p.m. takeoff. You re- it has happened before. I'm not saying it never happens. But you rarely hear it that it happened that they, they went off 5 15, that is 5, no, not 5.15 now. 15 seconds past 5. By the proper clock. No. By a few minutes to 5, everybody is standing there. They are counting down. 5, they blow the whistle. You do know the reason? I'll tell you. Because DSTV has paid. <laughs> That's to cover Africa. <laughs> Networks are paid to cover Europe. To cover North America, to cover China. They have rearranged all their programs. For, to advertise on ABC Network is $1 million a minute. You don't waste their one minute. It's $1 million you are wasting. I don't even think they are the most expensive. There are US networks that want an advert, is $2 million for them to put you on for one minute. So imagine, FIFA's one minute is not the normal one minute. It's not you that got to work, work late. That one minute is worth scores of millions calculated worldwide. So when they tell you, we are taking off by 5 p.m. local time, Nigerian local time, you can use it to set your clock. Before they do all the warm-up, bam, the referee blows the whistle and they take off. What am I going to say? Everybody involved understands what's going on. So there's nothing like, I, I have coronavirus, I can't come out. 
You better forget your coronavirus and come out with it. They will hear, everything is arranged to ensure that these preparations do not fail. And that's just a human thing. That's just football. That's just entertainment. That's just living for some people. But for God, it's an eternal plan. That plan hinged on one person. And Jesus came as a man, laid down his glory. So he was head in that he feared. He understood what rested on him. Many of the things you can't do is that you don't understand the significance of it. I like what Mary Kay said in her book, and I took a lesson from it. Her husband smoked for years. Smoked, heavy smoker. They talked to him, talked to him, he couldn't stop smoking. He said he's tried. He had done all kinds of programs to stop smoking. He couldn't stop. Then one day she was reading a magazine and saw that they said, your cigarette smoking affects people who live with you. We call it secondhand smoke. So she read it and said, I know my husband. He always reads whatever I was reading. So she left that article on, the, on their coffee table and went to the room. Next day, the husband came out. As typical of him, picked the magazine and read it and never smoked again. A man who had invested money, time, in trying to stop smoking. He didn't work. Then he just read that my wife is being injured by my smoking. And he couldn't smoke again. He couldn't smoke again. The right motivation. I'm talking about what Jesus feared. I'm talking about why he did what he did. And I'm trying to explain it to us also, for us to understand the way our lives might be. That's why you know, I was giving myself as an example. There are things I reason about. I give you an example that my friend Pastor Corey went at the time Sokoto was hot and hot. Everybody said, go, go, go. He said, but I pastor a church. Just come one day until this thing is over. He said, I'm sorry, I can't. Then he said, bring your children. He said, my church members too, they also, they also have children. Bring your wife and your children. You, you need to take all the wives and the children. If you're not ready to do that, please leave me alone. There are decisions people make. I shake my head. I say, do you realize people are following you? Do you realize you are not only confusing yourself, you are confusing many people? <laughs> Listen. God taught me something, so I preach against some things, all right? Now, this is not about preaching. This is truth. Whether your child was born in Madagascar or in Uwani. Those who don't know, Uwani is a part of Enugu, all right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, because I just realized people are listening to you from everywhere. <laughs> Whether your child was born in Madagascar, born in Enugu, born in Sokoto, Lagos, or United States of America, or in London, does not affect what the person will become in life. I hope you get my point there. It, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't. I hope, sometimes I think Christians, I see Christians being one guy, I said, are you sure your head is working? Faith, let me tell you something about faith. You don't just believe with your heart. You must believe with your actions. Any faith that has not come out in action is not genuine. Bear that in mind, just by the way. 
So if you want to trust God for the lives of your children, trust him properly. So, why am I saying that? <laughs> I said, no matter what the opportunity you give me, at the point in time, now, having said that, all my children were born in Nigeria. It's not only really for lack of opportunity to give them, to deliver them elsewhere. I mean, <laughs> when Akulu was going to be born, there was a free ticket. Go and have your baby in the UK. My wife turned it out for the simple reason that it will take too long before the husband will see the baby. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was just a simple reason. Ah, okay. I was ah, opportunity to just trip. For it was a trip. It wasn't about having your child abroad so you can have a, a, any passport. She never, she never felt anything like that. But that's okay. When will I come back? Say you wait for like, uh, is it two months? They say, but one go see picking that is his husband will not see the child for some time. Say no. It was her mother that gave her the offer. Her mother said, "You people are strange." Yes, I mean it makes sense. This that's a strange behavior. Strange behavior. But the point I'm making is this. Listen to this. That was those days. But now. There's nothing you want. even even if they say you come back next day, I will never agree. I will never agree. What is my reason? What do I say to people who I preach to? One of our brothers that they relocated from Nigeria went abroad. Eh? What pained me? You know what I'm talking about? Was the insults they gave him on Twitter? He was a preacher. I stumbled into the insults. It pained. Me. It pained me personally. He said, oh, after telling us to hustle, see you. People went after him. Undermined his message, undermined his ministry. Nobody could come to his defense. You know, normally on Twitter, if you abuse Buhari, head of state, they are pro and anti people. Everybody is fighting. Nobody could come to his defense because the argument was genuine. I'm talking about how we live our lives and why Jesus feared. There are times, no, not once in a while. Regularly, I pray to the Lord, please, I'm not perfect. Please, just don't let me, in my imperfections, disobey you. So as to disgrace you. So Jesus knew the weight of things upon him. And if he committed one sin, one, he now needed forgiveness. Do you get my point? And for needing forgiveness, he was no longer able to pay for the sins of the whole world. Because the Lamb of God had to be without blemish. The Lamb of God had to be sinless. It was not somebody that needed forgiveness himself. That's why it could be the perfect sacrifice. So every day, it was drilled into him, and he sustained his, his pure life with prayer. He didn't sustain it with, you know, I'm a son of God. No. It's, listen, why were we taught that? So that we know we can do it also. If you pray the right prayers, you will not sin. And we're not talking about, listen, we're not talking about prayer now. But one of the reasons why we misbehave is that we have a feeling nothing will happen. We will tell God, sorry. I've been saying it, I think I said it on Tuesday also, last week. The closer you walk with God, the less your sorry walks. So. 
Sorry, sorry, sorry is for children. As you grow older, God will say, if you try that again. Moses was so close with God, so close to him, that people criticized his marriage decision. They got into trouble. There were many prophets in Israel and in the land before he even came on board. And God referred to them. Say, you call yourself prophets. I have to whisper to you. I wait for you to fall asleep. This is a man I discuss with, like a friend, a man talks to his friend. That's how close Moses was with God. Therefore, when he sinned one sin, God said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not overlooking it. Sometimes God will say, I have forgiven, but I will not overlook it. It's different between forgiving and overlooking. He said, you of all peoples of this earth I have chosen as my own. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquity. Now, people think that, you know, it makes me like, when you see the way people, for example, now they talk about Israel, Israel, Israel. I said, the way people talk about this nation of Israel, you don't understand God. If what you are saying about God, about them, do you understand, this natural Israel, was really true. God cannot stand the things they are doing. They were the, one of the first nations on this earth to legalize same-sex marriage. One of the first, long before America. You know, you see Christians, I don't, you know, we don't read the Bible, we just follow it into hype. There are people of God, people of God, people of God. Then clowns will go to be baptized in the Jordan. When there's Oji River here, you understand my point? And okay, when there's Crocodile River, is there. They won't go there. If you are really the people of God, he's turned on your iniquity. I don't want to get carried away into that. Many Christians don't know what they are saying. You've denied Jesus, you don't realize it. Somebody says to you every day, Jesus is a bastard. He's not the son of God, he's an impostor. Then you put your hand and say, this is my brother. I'm sorry, your head is not working. The Arabs at least accept that Jesus is a prophet. They say no. That, they say he's an impostor. And Jesus has said something. Please, this is our American brethren should read the Bible. He said, your house will be left to you desolate until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They are still calling that Lord an impostor and a bastard. Till today. And you are telling me, raise money and send to Israel. I won't send a dime. Unless you are dealing with evangelism. Because a lost people are a lost people. Even your great-grandfather is Abraham. How did I get into that? Anyway, but I know the main thing I was trying to say. And that is that, listen to me. Jesus realized how important he was to the plan of God. And we people that, okay, I know what I was saying. So the closer we walk with God, the more seriously we should take our Christian walk. We should begin to get on our knees and say, Lord, as I'm going to walk today, I am hungry, you know. May I not take a bribe? Because God knows why he left you hungry. He will leave you hungry, then you go to where money. Money is available just for the taking. And God says, listen, I want you to rather die of hunger than take that money. He says, if I die now, who will preach the gospel? God says, your death will preach it better. <laughs> than your life that cannot withstand hunger. You don't know that people's death can preach the gospel? Paul said it now. Whether by living or by dying. <laughs> 
I heard the story of Polycarp. Look, Jesus died. The Roman soldier, this was the son of God. All the days he was alive, the guy did not know. Then when Jesus died, he looked and said, ah, normal people don't die like this. You die. Earthquake. Eclipse. Not a scheduled one. An unscheduled eclipse everywhere went dark because you died. The earth is shaking. Then this, all these big, big men came to watch you die. He said, this one is the son of God. His conversion was the death of Jesus Christ. We had the story of Polycarp. He is dying. People got saved. Because they wanted to burn him. He said, you don't need to tie me. And he stood in the midst of the fire. Someone would say, ah, why did God deliver him? Because what is your problem? You know, your problem is that you are so attached to this earth. You think that if I don't deliver Polycarp, I failed him. What you don't understand is that why you have seen flesh born. Polycarp, I mean, we're, we're playing. Polycarp had greeted me. I told him, rise. No, sir, Polycarp. You know what I mean? Rise, sir, night. Well done, good and faithful servant. Angels were dancing. They broke into a dance. Why you were there? They are born in the saint of God. <laughs> Polycarp. When he was stoning Stephen, you know Stephen didn't feel the, the, the stoning. He was saying, he, see Jesus Christ. Ha, he's standing. He's not even sitting. Oh, that is, as you are stoning, he was seeing heaven. He was worshipping. His spirit was out. What am I going to explain? As believers, as we walk closer with God, let's have understanding. Everything we do, you should understand something. Let me say this here. You can't be doing God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Your destiny is not going away small, small. Even though God is willing to forgive so many times, don't think you have forever. When it says today is the day of salvation, it means a time comes, doors close. Some people are still doing God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, on the same iniquity until God closes the door for the generation. I hope you know, every generation, and generations are calculated in different ways. What I mean is that, for example, now maybe everybody, oh, how do I say this? Maybe everybody born around the time I was born, as an example, you understand? God gave that us a particular time, depending on, when I say born, and not just physically born, the age of enlightenment, exposure to the gospel. Don't, listen, God doesn't give time permanently. Anytime you are ready, you come and serve me. It a time comes, he slams the door. You can't pass through it again. Even though cry from now to tomorrow. Go and ask Esau. He did not have a place for repentance even though he sought it with tears. It was too late. You heard of the foolish virgins? Did they not come banging on the door? The bridegroom said, the door don't close. Guys, move. Each generation, alright, has their time. Within the generation, each individual has a cut-off time. You have a cut-off time for repentance. You have a cut-off time to change your ways. You think God is going to withhold all the plans he has because of only you? People are bragging, is that I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. They don't realize that that's adultery. You have 15 more months to end it. If you stop it in the 16th month, you will not die, but you will never be useful again in life. Why? I will have replaced you. Will I now remove the person I put in your place because you are repenting? 
Every rubbish you are getting involved in, you have a cut-off date. You have a cut-off date. We have this, this lackadaisical Christianity because we have the time forever. Life, young people used to tell them those days that after one day they will not repent. <laughs> you know, it's a joke. Listen, the Bible says God is not mocked. You want to live your life loosely. The time will now come. You will now settle down. You will not get a wife or get a husband. You will not settle. Listen, if he walks out like that, know that God had already nailed your coffin. That's why it worked. God will never, listen to me, take you as a sacrifice if you give yourself to him when it is convenient. People are joking with him. Anytime you think you have played smart, listen to me. You have decapitated your destiny. Yesterday, I remember the message I preached. I preached it here before. I preached in Abakaliki about two years ago, a series. Okay? I remember they said, no, I need to preach it again. Something about the hundredfold blessing. The hundredfold returns in life. You must understand. You know, God is not a, you know, no, I had a vex, I had a vex, eh? you did me bad thing. No. There are times there's no vexing. Okay, I always give it as an example. David, a man he loved, amen? I read my Bible again. That David died at the age of 70 was an indictment that all of us were supposed to note. The age that David died, God left it for us, for all of us to watch it. People die at different times, but for David, because generations after, listen to me carefully. I closed my eyes because men love women. So I gave David and Co. a small rule. You can have as many women as you want. Just make sure it's not somebody else's wife. And they were happy. What they did not know was that the more you have, the less you live. You didn't hear what I said? You say God didn't say I can't have a second wife. God said take her. Then I remove three years from your life. Useful life on the earth. Now take 10 years away from your healthy life. That's your payment for the second wife. Enjoy her. You take a third one. Nothing spoil. You are a man after my heart. You won't purify yourself in this area. There's no wahala. I take three more years from your life. And the, 15, the 10 years of health that I removed, I remove more inside that 10 years. You become sicker than before. Caleb, also from your tribe. Was Caleb from Judah? Anyway, one of your brothers. At the age of 85, he was leading battle. You as a young man, you started fighting. At the age of 70, you were tired. Your men were not helping you in war. And now say you can't come to war again. No, that, no, no it wasn't 70 before that time. 60 something, David couldn't fight again. People of Israel, like him beforehand, they were leading charges in battle at 85. Moses was not tired at 120. He could see clearly from a distance at 120. The Bible says his eyes did not grow dim. His strength did not abate. 
Go and check how long Caleb lived. Men lived strong in perfect health. All this one that um, everybody's falling sick when you are old, you are tired, is sin. The person, what did I do? I don't know. Go and find out yourself. With all the love God had for David, before 60 something, David was tired. I have read my Bible up and down. It's not the war that wore him out. Wait till he fight. You think Joshua and Caleb, didn't you read their story? They were also fighting. What wore him out? I'll give it to you. Women. Women. Take it from me. What wore David out was women. It's in the Bible. Solomon said it. You give your strength to that which destroys men. You think loving women is easy? I want to love two, three, four. You are taking from your future. Using to pay. You think it's a money thing. It's not just money. If you know the way spiritual things work, you just go and read your Bible well so that you can obey God fully. What am I going to say? Please, let's not be sitting down and be bragging on this hour. We are safe in our salvation. We should know that we are called for something deeper. We don't have forever to change our ways. If you're a dishonest person, God says that if you forgive our, confess our sins, if I want to, I want to teach about today is, there's true, you must understand, true confession, true confession is so as to be changed. It's not too so as to forget forgiveness and then continue moving. That's why John said it like this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of what? Unrighteousness. So, I'm sorry with God has no meaning until help me change is part of it. I saw one movie many years ago. I can't remember the movie now. But Mafia Don was about to die. He was really tired. He was sick. So the other mafia, ma- mafiosos were coming to see him. So one went in to see him. Now, very interesting guy. He was on his deathbed. He was laughing that the Reverend Father was here. He said, I should tell God I'm sorry. How can I say I'm sorry? <laughs> I, I don't know where to get the point. He said, how do I say I'm sorry when I'm not sorry? <laughs> he was laughing that the other mafia boys say. The Reverend Father was here just now. That I needed to tell God sorry. Sorry for what? Everything I did, give you another chance, I'll do it again. Many people think they will just say on their deathbed, they say, God, I'm sorry. God say, I'm sorry too. I can't hear that sorry. Listen to me. You don't use I'm sorry to get anything from God. You use I'm sorry to change your ways. So if you're about to die and you're afraid of going to hell, you say, God, I'm sorry. It it does not work. Mark my words, it does not work. If it is the fear of hellfire, you say, ah, how do I get to heaven? Tell God you're sorry. Say, I'm sorry. He will carry you and stone you there faster. What do you think I am? People think that, ah, but the, what's that guy on on the cross? The thief on the cross. Let me tell you, it was that time he realized what was going on. Up to that moment, he did not know his way was wrong. Just like the Roman soldier. 
Maybe he was one of those people that believed there was no God. A man has to take his life in his hands. Maybe it was on the cross he realized that he couldn't take his hands, his, his life in his hands. Then he saw Jesus Christ, he saw everything around, just like the Roman soldier. He said, ah, this must be the son of God. So there is a God. He sent us his son. Oh, God. Such a person, you drop him from that cross, he will live his life differently all over again. He will live it differently. That was why he looked at Jesus and said, remember me. And who even told you he was a thief? You only know he was being crucified as one. Oh. Romans made the decision of his crucifixion. It was not God. The person who made the decision of that guy's crucifixion did it. And listen, I don't want to get too much into that now, but two sets of, oh God. When they crucified with Jesus, all right, the people crucified with him came in two categories. I don't want to count them because the cross controversy to distract what I'm saying. But they came in two categories. One, a category was freedom fighters. Those who were fighting Romans, Romans for occupation, for occupying their land. They were troublemakers. Romans will collect you and crucify you as an example. That's one. The second category were criminals. Romans did not only crucify criminals. They cru- if you, are, you led an insurrection against them, they crucified you too. What am I going to say? Don't try and say, I will kill people. Then when, when they now tie me to the stake, after I've been sentenced to death by firing squad, or when they put the noose around my neck, and I say, Jesus, remember me in your paradise. Jesus say, I'm not remembering you anywhere. The only remembrance, um, remembrance for your soul is with the devil. You are going with him. You think you can mock God and get away with it? You can't. You can't. True repentance is saying, I was wrong, not I want to get to heaven. True repentance is that if you give me another opportunity, I don't want to come to heaven now. I will go back and go and live for you. That's true repentance. Not, ah, I've done everything. What will remain again? I don't chop money. I don't steal money. I don't sleep with all kinds of women, toy, short, you know, fat, slim, Oyibo, Arab, African. What will remain? Now only Jesus remains now. You try that with Jesus Christ. You try that with my Jesus Christ. He will not save you. He will not forgive you. Let me say it again. If you try that with Jesus, he will not save you. He will not forgive you. The best he can do for you is to grab you by the neck and squeeze it until you realize that you were wrong. Then he will drop you. Then he say, Lord, please, I was a madman. You know, we have a generation of people that think that pleasing God, that serving God is for God's good. God, with my kind of talent, I want to sing for you. What do you think? Listen to me. If you're a musician, two-faced, in case you give your life to Christ, if you haven't, I don't know whether you have, don't try and sing for him. Your voice does not impress him. You will come and say, what do you want me to do? He can tell you, go and buy a bus. Put horn speaker on it like Deeper Life Man. And start going from town to town. I was a sinner. I have been saved. My name was Two-Faced, but now I have repented. 
If you think too legit to quit, I mean, what's the name of his song again? I will wound you. <laughs> you know, many of us think that, oh, you know, if Dangote gives his life to Christ, as an example, he becomes a believer. The billions will preach the gospel. You don't know God. Though. God is saying to you, the reason why I have not preached it now is not for lack of money, it's for lack of people. You think it's money? The earth is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold, all the silver, they are mine. If I wanted money, I pop my finger like this, money will be. I can arrange to have angels deliver a million dollars into the hands of all my preachers monthly. It's not a problem. Why am I not doing it? It does not solve a problem. It doesn't solve anything. What am I trying to say? So a rich man gives life to Christ. I think God is, all of us are most happy. Hey, praise God. Have you heard? Hey, all the billions will not be in the church. God said, these people don't know me. A man wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? He said, first, go and sell all you have. Listen to this. Give it to the poor. That was not going to help the ministry in any way. You know, if it is us now, sell all you have. This is the ministry's account number. <laughs> sell all you have. These are affiliated ministries. You think Jesus needed money that time? Trust me, people of God, he needed he, he, he used, when I say need, now that is, the ministry was spending money. Some people were following them about giving money regularly to the work. And there was a day they came asking for money, there was nothing. He knew how to use money. Yet he saw a man that had plenty. He said, sell all you have. Now, before you join the ministry, give it to what? The poor. What was he trying to say? Your life does not impress us. You need Jesus. Jesus does not need you. I hope you're getting my point. You're not coming to him to come and say, what can I do for your kingdom? No. It's what do you want me to do, sir? What is my portion as a servant? I'm yielding myself to you. There are times you come with worldly fame. You expect because you have 20 million followers on Twitter. You will give your testimony, and all of them will believe. You assume. Instagram, 40 million following only you. They want to say, Jesus is Lord. You, know, you give your life to Christ, finish. What we think, the average person is that 40 million followers, that's a platform for testimony. That's a platform, you know, you now start posting daily devotional. To 40 million people who don't care about Christ Jesus, who don't care about God, they only came to check your half-naked body each time you photograph yourself. You know what? Many times, you know what Jesus will do? You've given your life to Christ. Lord, what do you want me to do? Say, close the Twitter account. The average person will assume, no, now, you will give testimony. Jesus said, I don't want to hear testimony. Let them just know that this woman just disappeared off the radar. I don't want them to even hear you give your life to Christ. You will say, oh yeah, Twitter account, close it. Facebook, close it. Instagram, close. All the other platforms where they were following you, international celebrity, close. What do I do? You will take a flight. Fly down to Nigeria. There's one part of Nigeria called Joss. 
There's a church there. You will attend it for three years. Take some money that you used to eat. That is, you be a debate in cyberspace. Where is this person? Where is this musician? By the time you will give them a testimony, when they hear the testimony for the first time you gave your life to Christ, they will have forgotten your worldly fame. God will now say, after three years in Joss, you know why he just hidden? They won't think you will go there. One corner. In fact, you won't arrive there directly. You land in Cameroon. <laughs> they will drive you across the border over the mountains. You will not stay there three years studying the scriptures. He will arrange for you, maybe after a while, work permit in Nigeria. So you can be teaching something to children in one school there. You have money, we know. He allowed you to bring money from America to eat. But that Instagram platform, that Facebook platform, those platforms that you thought you would have used to serve him, you will be surprised he doesn't want them. When Pastor Chris Okito gave his life to Christ those days, everybody assumed that what will happen? He will start um, gospel. He said the Lord told him not to open his mouth to sing. He sings in church. You expect he release an album? No. For years, he didn't sing publicly. What did God have him do? Go to Bible school, go and learn the scriptures. When you come back, start pastoring the church. You know, if you and I were supposed to make the arrangements, not like that. Too. What am I going to explain? Nobody should think he or she is doing God a favor when you are giving your life to Christ. And the point I was making earlier, let me say it again. There's one thing we used to say those days. Today's is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Let me say it to you again. It's not a lie. It's not a lie. It's real. It's true. If you don't give your life to Christ today, tomorrow may be too late. I don't mean tomorrow as figurative tomorrow of tomorrow, another season. I mean tomorrow, the 5th, is today the 4th of July? Yes. Tomorrow, the 5th of July, may be too late. You know, I've said it again and again, and that's not a lie. Coronavirus is out there. But really, that's not what is killing people. It is the spirit of death that sends corona infection ahead to help him select those he's supposed to kill. That's why most people that get it, they don't die. They occasionally takes one and he kills. And if you don't give your life to Christ today, there are people listening to me either through coronavirus or through nothing. You know, there are some, what the reprints called death by death. He was putting scriptures. There's death by pestilence, there's famine, death by sword. So there's a death by death. You're just going, you just die. Nobody will believe you're dead. Say, but he just passed here five minutes ago. The reprints said it's called death by death. Why does God death some people? Listen to me. When the time for salvation passes, and let me say it again, the time for salvation can pass. The time to repent and be saved is not infinite. You don't repent when you like. God is, once he starts calling you, this time starts counting. Once conviction starts coming to your heart, the time starts counting. 
you are against a countdown. That is a point I'm making to you. I began this by explaining why Jesus feared. Why he was head in that he feared. And I want people to understand that principle is in every aspect of life. If you're an unbeliever, once God starts calling you, there's a countdown. And listen to me. He has set the time when he will stop. And that time, it runs in two parameters. It runs by events and it runs by literal time. It can be five years, six months, 13 days, and 18 hours, and 15 minutes, 10 seconds. It's counting it down. That's one chronological way of counting. Another way he counts, they run by side by side, he arranges them the way he likes, is this. He counts like this. I am going to give you 10 intense convictions. The last one we come. Go on, it's in your Bible. God told Egypt, he told Moses, they will let you go. But it has to be 10. No, he counted it ahead. God knows the amount of persuasion he will give. I am going to give you 10 intense convictions. If by the 10th once you don't repent, I won't give you an 11th one. And listen to me, if the Spirit of God withdraws from you, you don't have the capacity to repent anymore. So the chronological time he has put down and the number of you know, convictions he's talking about, some of them come, you see a tract, you read it, you finish reading it, you will think, God. Then your friends say, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, action day. You forget God. God said, one gone. You sit down in a bar, television channel switches. Then you start hearing a gospel message like this. Repent. Then you say, is he talking to me? Then your friends say, oh boy, the babes don't land. Ah, you follow the babes. Second conviction, gone. You think he's joking. You have only eight. They will drag you for a crusade. You will see, see the sick healed. You will see all kinds of things. They say, come and give your life to Christ. But you came with your guys. What will my friends say? You go back home. God says, he's counting. The last day he sends the last one. I like a story I heard from R.W. Shambach once. Shambach said one day he was walking. He was walking in a particular place. And the boss, somebody just called him and said, Preacher, because you know, he was walking, but was, they knew him as a preacher. Preacher, the boss wants you. So he got up and went to go and meet the boss. What do you want? The boss told him, asked him a spiritual question. Like, does God know what I would be saying? No, he asked a question like that. So he and him had a discussion. Then he, discu- he, no, he, he, he was convinced suddenly. He realized that the Holy Spirit was working on that guy. So he said to him, Boss, get on your knees now and give your life to Christ. The man, after some discussion, the man said, what would my friends say? Shambach said, what would they say? Let me tell you, they will laugh at you. They will insult you. He told him everything. He said, that's what they are going to say. But you need to get on your knees and give your life to Christ. The man kept on saying, what would my friends say? What would my people say? What would my friends say? After, some while, after a while, Shambach left. He came back to work next morning. Preacher, did you hear? Hear what? The boss died last night. Shambach said, what? Yes. Our boss died last night. That time they were talking was not afternoon. It was night. He was working a late shift. The man finished talking with, the, with the Shambach and went home. Lay down and God said, sorry, that's your last chance. 
We don't have all the time. We don't leave repentance till it's convenient. One of the ones that happens to young men, I've encountered it a number of times. They've spoken with me. They've spoken with some of our people. Remember the young man? <laughs> In fact, that's the third one. There are different ones. One young man spoke to me once. He was involved in, you know, internet fraud, for one all kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit was on his matter. So that day, I think he came to Enugu to come and see me. And he begged, that's those, those, those days, long ago. And he told me everything that was happening in his life, how his life was not better, but he has given his life to Christ too. I said, eh. So that, but this money issue, so that um, he just wants to do one more. And then he will be serious with God. I said, oh boy, if you try it. Both God and the devil, they are waiting for you. The devil won't let you go. He will intensify his accusations against you. God will rule against you, you will die. I said, eh? Don't try it. You know the other one that I told to call you? Same thing. He gave his life to Christ. Nothing. It's not a barber being or something like that. I don't have much money again. I said, what did you think? Some people, when they give their life to Christ, God will say, hey, you give your life to me. You give your life to me. You will never be hungry again. Nonsense. I said, so, I said, I think you told me, eh? You're broke. It's a normal thing now. How else will we know you repented? You think if, if people gave their life to Christ and they gave their million dollars, everybody won't be in church? You think everybody won't be in church? Ah, like one man said, there was a joke I saw that time that they found their $58 million in an apartment in um, Ikoi in Lagos. You know, the joke was all over the internet. They showed one Mexican drug dealer on the, on the phone with this guy in Nigeria. He said, oh boy, you mean you can make that kind of money in your country without doing drugs? He said, oh boy, how do I become a Nigerian citizen? Because the guy said, no, no, there's no need to do drugs. After all these drugs we are doing, it's not for money. Risk being shot by police. America, America grabbed me and put me in prison. He said, if I can't make this kind of money without doing drugs, I must become a Nigerian. <laughs> we told the young man, forget it. Hunger is your portion. Better work harder. If you are barbing two, uh, the, maybe ten, ten, is it heads? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, you are doing 10 heads a day. Better increase it to 20. You think God will give you a miracle? He ain't giving you any, any miracle. You will bab here. You will do home service. When we were young, Baba used to go from house to house. They would bring all the children. Yeah, all of you see that? The Baba will cut or then carry his kit to the next house. You will revive that thing. That's, God said that is how you will live. There's a story I told you about one of our guys, a pastor. Okay, I think your, your classmate or something. We were in school together. Anyway, you hear the story. I was there, he was preaching. It was into 419. I mean, internet fraud. This, all these fraudulent things. He and his friends. Then one day, of course, he grew up in the religious room. His father is a minister of the gospel. Like I said, you know, God is counting. Then one day, the Holy Spirit was strong on his matter and he yielded. He yielded. We praise God for that. And that's what I'm preaching, yield. He yielded. After he yielded, Satan said, we need to get this guy back. The last deal they did, the money arrived. They are, like they say, their mugu paid. 
Imagine a team of five boys. Time to share maybe a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know the amount. Let's just say, anyway, the money shall came. So his friends, very honorable at this time. When Satan wants to tempt you. Have you noticed those boys who drink beer? They won't buy you a Coke, but you buy you a beer. Oh, you never encountered them before. Pastor, sit down now, sit down. Pastor, where are you going? They won't buy you a Coke, but if you want two gooders, they will buy. Because they want you to enter their camp. His friends called him. They knew he had gone to church. But they called him and said, oh boy, money has arrived though. He calculated the money. Now, see. Let me tell you something. Real salvation is costly. Hmm. It's costly. You will walk away from relationships. You walk away from jobs. There are times God will just say to you, where you are walking, I don't like it. He said, where else will I go? He said, we won't discuss it yet. A young man came to, to, came to me the other day, where he had lived his life, planned his life for the last eight years. You know this kind of thing, that if you leave, you get nothing. He had a year to go. He came here to speak to me that day. This just a few weeks ago, a few months ago. And he said, after I finished talking, I listened to everything he said. I said, okay, so what is your question? He said, I want to know. You know the way this thing works. I said, I do. Once I leave, I leave with nothing. He was not a small boy. By that time, he probably been in his early 30s. He said, so what happens to me after now? I gave him the answer of God. I said, number one, I don't know. Number two, God is not going to tell you. He says, walk away first. We'll discuss later. You know, you want to negotiate with him. Real salvation. I wrote an article long ago called The Cost of Salvation. I've thought about it. Real salvation costs you. It doesn't only cost the Lord Jesus Christ. It will cost you as a person. It will cost you. Like that man said to R.W. Shambach, what will my friends say? And Shambach said to him, they will laugh at you. He couldn't stand the shame. Paul said, all these things that were precious to me, that were valuable to me, I counted as what? Dung. You want to give your life to Christ and still have 20 million followers on Instagram. God says, no, that's the first thing I'm going to take away from you. The day you give your life to Christ, the cost of that salvation is delete that Instagram page. And in case you don't know, if you have 20 million followers on Instagram, you are a millionaire. Mark Zuckerberg will pay you. You can't even do your own deals. Your friend may be launching a drink. You say, give me 5 million naira. I will drink it on Instagram. 20 million people will see me drinking it. It will sell. That's how they make money. When you talk about influencers, the day we sat and we were watching it, my wife and I, the people that ha- there are people that got paid ten million dollars in one year for doing nonsense on YouTube. Did you hear what I said? Just filming how this child is developing. They got paid. Is it six or sixteen million dollars? Salvation is costly. Sometimes that's what it takes away. This brother said that day his friends called him. I said, oh boy, money don't land up. Money has arrived. So he went to his father, a clergyman. He told his father the whole truth. The father gave him one scripture. He said, anyone who puts a hand on the plow and looks back 
is not worthy of the kingdom. He went and told his friends, sorry, that will be looking back. I can't. So the boys were happy. Instead of five boys sharing money, four shared. They had more money. This is where I'm telling you the story. This is why I'm telling you the story. He said, as of today that I'm preaching, I'm the only one alive of the five. All four were dead. Young boys. All died maybe in their, in their 20s. At that time, he was still a young man. He said, all are dead. I am the only one alive. And listen to me. If he had taken that money, he too would have died. Every day, they are fighting for your soul. You think we are playing? When they say give your life to Christ, you think we don't have enough people in church. When they say give your life to Christ, it is be delivered. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him will not what? Perish. You are perishing. That's the message. You are perishing. We are not saying come and prosper. We are saying where you are right now, you are perishing. No matter how rich you are, you are perishing. That's what we are saying. You're not coming to church to do anybody a favor. No. No. Who will deliver you from the judgment to come? That's what we're saying. And let me say it again. It's counting already. Your first conviction was five years ago. The last one for some people is tonight. There are people who, if their last one goes, listen to this. Bam, God says 10 is done. The time limit I gave, both of them exhausted. Next question we're going to ask is, what happens to him now? What happens to her now? Two things. One, some God will say, it's enough. Let her fall sick, let him fall sick, die after three weeks. That's one. Another category, God says, no, 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 he's not going to die now. Prepare him as a vessel unto dishonor. So what do I do with this one? He said, the time will come in the next 30 years. We are going to show our power in the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. Make him a pharaoh. So he joins the Egyptian army. Then things start working out for him. Next thing, he plots a coup. The thrones, no, he joins maybe an Assyrian army. Yeah. He becomes a leader. They infiltrate the Egyptian army. They kill the pharaoh. They take over in Egypt. They become the new pharaohs. A walking corpse. A man that cannot be saved. A man that cannot hear Moses. No matter what Moses says, he will not hear. Paul said it. How do you know this? You say, Paul said it. He said, God was enduring the vessels of wrath. That's what happened. God was enduring the vessel of wrath. So the man is there. You don't understand why he won't listen. God said you don't understand. He died 20 years ago. I raised his corpse up to this moment for this purpose. When Egypt, when Israel will have left Egypt, I will take care of him. And he will do a lot of evil to keep his life going. Yeah, it sounds funny. Keep on doing his evil, you'll be surprised. Why has God not judged this one? If you go and read the story of Adolf Hitler, I look at it by my understanding. Adolf Hitler was exactly like Pharaoh. For this cause, I raised you up. I will show my power in you. Adolf Hitler was raised up for that reason. 
If you hear the stories of Adolf Hitler's survivor, it was supernatural. It's so much that he convinced him he had a calling from God. Listen, people of God, we have to let people know. Anybody playing and say, I will repent later. There's no later. Today's the day of salvation. God is not mocked. The moment you make up your mind, I will enjoy myself, then I will repent later. God said this one. You don't understand. Did, in fact, Pastor Dev told the story. That's a young man. He had that, that feeling. Until he had an accident and he realized he could not pray. It was an accident happening and prayer couldn't come from his mouth. Prayer couldn't come from his mouth. So when he survived, he realized, no, no, this God cannot be mocked. We had better repent now. That's the first message. Again, that's just for everybody in the world, but for the people of God, the church of God, who are the main people I'm supposed to be teaching. This is their own side also. You also have time, a time limit to make certain advances with God. You have a time limit. Life has different aspects. If you are involved in dishonesty, God says, I have given you a certain time limit. Don't think you'll be doing this urukuruku permanently. I may be long-suffering. I'm not ever suffering. There's a patience of God, but don't try it. You know the problem with the patience of God? It gets exhausted when you don't know it's exhausted. Something said, I will go like at other times. He didn't know it was gone. Something just assumed that what is it? Philistines, nothing spoiled now. It's in my blood. Killing Philistines is normal with me. He did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Why was I talking about hundredfold returns? Hundredfold blessing? It's because sometimes we don't realize it's graded. You don't make certain critical decisions now. You know, some came and said, your mina has made ten more. One said, your mina has made five more. One said, your mina has made two more. Different kinds of results come from what God has given us. The difference is who makes the right decisions at the right times. I was not about generations. Each generation has a time limit. If you see the parables of Jesus, they will say there were ten virgins, Five, we know, story-wise, five, foolish. They did not prepare. When the bridegroom came, they tried to trim their lamps. The lamps were going out. So they went and met the ones that had extra oil. Can I have some oil? Those ones say, please, oh, the one we have will not be enough for two of us. Quickly rush to the dealers and go and buy. They rushed out to go and buy. By the time they came back, those ones, the bridegroom had arrived. They had entered into a banquet hall. The door had been shut. There's a principle behind it. The time to trim your lamp, it was too late. Listen, I've taught this here before. Spiritual things are like this. Three days. First day, the day of John the Baptist. Second day, the day of John the Baptist. The third day, the day of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist comes with the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Remember that. If you are baptized by John, you were healed by Jesus. If you are baptized by John, you recognize the Messiah. 
You were baptized by John, you became his disciple, the disciple of Jesus Christ. There was nobody in Israel at that time who was exposed to John that had the capacity or the opportunity to jump John. There was none. You either took John himself, because this is what happens, eh? when God sends a John, there will be small Johns. Like, you know, Peter used to baptize. James used to baptize. Baptize. So some of those small, small boys could be baptized in their backyard. But whoever it was then had to subject himself to the baptism of the John anointing. And once you did not subject yourself to the baptism of John, Jesus will come and be watching you for a short while. The moment he does the first miracle, the opportunity to be baptized for that generation is over. God does not open the door of miracles until he has closed the door to the banquet hall. He doesn't open the lid. No, he doesn't. Amongst his covenant people especially. No. You know the reason? You can't see the miracle and then rush to John. It's too late. Because we always serve God for the right reasons. People don't get it. Listen, if you're a preacher, stop this nonsense. Stop telling people to give because of what they will get. God is angry with that doctrine. You are polluting their spirits. You are amplifying the evil in their hearts. You cannot afford, you, listen, you cannot produce Christ-likeness in the people of God by amplifying selfishness. Think about it. How do you produce Christ-likeness through the amplification of selfishness? No matter how, much, how nice it sounds, it is selfish to give for what you are going to get. That's why I said to you earlier, no matter how accurate the letters appear, if it does not produce more Christ-likeness in you, the doctrine is wrong. No matter how accurate it appears like by letter, listen to me. If I say give so I can get more, how else do you define selfishness? That is why what I preach all the time when it comes to money is, first, it's a privilege to be able to serve God. Any money you put in your hand, it's not yours. You're a custodian of his prosperity. You use it according to his dictates. That's what I preach. That's what I preach. And that's what it's supposed to be. We don't give so we can prosper. If you're a preacher, please stop it. I have this full conviction in my soul. God said the time has come for you to preach the truth. Otherwise, I will shut you down. So Jesus does not release those prospects so everybody else can come and give so they can get. He says, for example, if I want to release abundance to fund the work I have to do, I have to without selfish people. So I will make you hungry before feeding you with manna. You will give, you will get no prosperity. Let me say it to you again. All the testimonies that ah, I give that offering next day, door opened. We like to tell it because so you can give some more. It doesn't work like that. You can give, and the door that was closed will still close. Giving is giving. Having a key is a different matter. Go and look for the key and open the door. The giving is not the key. Selfishness is not Christ-likeness. It's not. You, if you can't give 
until you forget. You are not a giver yet. If you are waiting for God to give you back, you are not a giver. If you are counting what you are giving to him so that he can repay, you are not a giver. A true giver doesn't care whether he repays or not. No. A true giver does not care whether God repays or he does not pay. He does not repay. One of the best ways to know, to understand giving, is just watch parents give for and to their children. Yes. Which mother breastfeeds because she will get breast milk back? So this boy, as you are sucking his breast, you will give me back a hundredfold. She derives joy that the child is sucking without any wahala. If the child does not suck for two days, he's going to hospital. Doc, please, this boy has not been sucking. He's not thinking of what will my, what will my breastfeeding him bring for me. Even if doctor says, sorry, this child is very sick, he will not live beyond the age of two. The mother will still breastfeed dutifully. You know that? Time to go to school. You will find money and send the child to his school. And listen to me, unless you, you don't have prosperity in mind. You're not saying, I'm doing this now so that they can take care of me when I'm old. You should know that you're a sinner. Let me pray for those of you who are not sinners. Even when you are old, you will be healthy. Say amen. amen. When you are old, you will be prosperous. Say amen. amen. Your children will prosper also. Amen. They will so prosper that you will be given to your grandchildren. Amen. Because they won't want your money. Do you get my point? So you will be given to your grandchildren. You would not need your children to take care of you. Now, they will take care of you. I hope you get my point. I'm not saying they will not prosper. They will, okay, let me use the word. They will honor you. Oh, that's a good one. Your children will honor you. Say amen. amen. Say like you want it now. Amen. Your children will honor you. Amen. Okay, I know you never marry, you never born Peking yet, it doesn't matter. They will come and they will honor you. Amen. They are natural children, they are spiritual children. Both of them will honor you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. But you are not taking care of them for what they will give back to you. When you are doing it, you are doing it because that's what parents do. It's only mothers that are on crack who are on alcohol. They are the ones that will leave their babies on breastfed because they've taken heroin and they've fallen asleep. So we Christians, we are that responsible. Like I was saying, so, as believers, we are careful. We make the right choices, the right repentances. Can I use that expression? Before it's too late. In the case of John, John baptized, and as soon as Jesus began, John retired. In fact, it's the other way. Let me put it like this. When Jesus was about to begin, the father retired John. And Jesus took his signal from the retirement of John. The Bible says that when he heard that John had been taken into custody, you must understand, John really prepared the way for Jesus. He did. He introduced him to Peter, James, and co. So they began to follow him. Jesus was already a rabbi. He had disciples. He literally took over the ministry of John. When he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. Peter and co, they were part, I hope you know they were part-time disciples. That is, they worked with John, but they went back to fishing. 
They will stay with John. They will go back to fishing. You have to go back to fishing because John only had locusts and wild honey. <laughs> How do I know? Jesus called Peter three times. Each time, Peter used to go back to work. It was the last time when he gave him that massive... He was already a disciple of Jesus when he was fishing. Jesus didn't just go to one random man. I want a boat. I want a boat. He just got there. Oh, Peter, there you are. Let me use your boat. Peter said, no problem. He had been learning with him. Let's do some ministry. So after they finish, he said, all right. Cast your net on this side. He said, ah, pastor, forget that one. You know one of the reasons why I was able to give you the boat? Nothing happened today. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Then when they caught that massive amount of fish, he came and said, my Lord and my God. No, get away from me. I'm a, a sinful man. That was when Peter understood. Peter and I said, from now on, you'll be catching men. But why am I telling you the story? Peter was with John. When he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. What happened was that Peter and some people followed Jesus immediately. They became his disciples. They began to gather. And the Bible tells us something. That Jesus was baptizing, but not he himself, but his disciples. So Peter and co. were baptizing in the same way they learned from John. Do you get the principle here? So Jesus continued the ministry of John. John started the ministry for him. Then one day, God said, it is time for the bridegroom to launch. So a spirit went, moved Herod, and he took John and put him in prison. The Bible says that when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, for the first time he came out openly and began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Listen to what I'm going to say. There was no way John would come out from that place. Herod did not behead John. It was God that said the time is up. That was why Herod beheaded John. I like one thing that Pastor Delvan said. I was listening to him yesterday. He said, a man is immortal as long as the mandate of God remains upon his head. (laughs) Herod couldn't do anything to John. It was when God said it is enough. John can now come back. That was when Herod was able to behead John. You can go and read the story of Aaron. It was when they removed the garment of Aaron that he died. Now, what am I telling the story? John entered into custody. Then Jesus began to baptize. Then Jesus began to heal. This is the point I'm making. Once that season passed, every boy that had not been to John or the little Johns around, or the early days of the ministry of Jesus, boom, the door was closed. They were now following him up and down. There was no way, listen to me, there was no way to get healed. There was no way. That's what I'm telling the people of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. To the people of God, that was preached to Israel. I'm preaching again to the church of God. Make corrections before his next wave of release of his power starts. Make corrections in your life 
before he pours forth a new anointing upon this earth, made corrections because he will come down with a lot of glory. And if you have not gone to the John principle in every aspect of your life, you will never experience that power. Listen to me. Life has different aspects. That was why David never, God poured out the spirit of good marriage. He didn't participate in it. Why? The man wanted many wives. God said, John, David, leave this thing. He wouldn't leave it. Okay. The anointing blew upon everybody. Those who were ready, they took it. Those who had one wife, they collected it. I'm speaking figuratively now. You understand my point? Let's talk about anointing for wealth as an example. You know, I realized something. God said, the Lord led him about and there was no other God with him. God said, if I want to bless people with my anointing for wealth, it must be clear. There's no other God with them. It must be, it must be clear. Like Abraham, I don't want to be, it to be said that the king of Sodom made Abraham rich. He said, therefore, I will take nothing from you. These things were legitimately his own. But he said, no, the glory of God must not be touched. Repent, for the outbreak of God's power is at hand. That's what we're talking about. Make the right corrections in your life concerning how you walk, concerning how you talk, concerning how you behave, concerning how you think. I must, you must understand something. For us believers, God doesn't look first at our outward works. He checks first of all at our thought processes. You can't hide to do anything. God enters into your head and sees what you are thinking. He does. Jesus came and said, You have heard, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, listen to me, when Moses gave rules, human beings could enforce them. When Jesus gives rules, only him knows how you are obeying it. Now, what does that mean? It means that he digs into your head to see what you are thinking about. What am I saying? So I'm talking about repentance. Paul said, cleanse yourself of all defilement of flesh and spirit. You must understand that God, Paul explained to us, when God gives promises, it is not manifested until we prepare for them. He says, seeing that we have all these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and what? Spirit. When you talk about spirit, what does it mean? What is pushing me? What am I thinking about? What is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing? He said, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, what am I trying to explain? The promise of God, all the promises of God, for them to manifest in your life, God says, repent. But you know my message for today? You knew that one before. Most of us knew that before. What many of us did not know is that that repentance has a time limit. That is what we need to be corrected concerning. It has what? A time limit. It has a time limit. Once the days of the Lord Jesus, remember we said three days? First the day of John, second the day of John, when the day of revival, the day of the divine, the, the, the miracles of the Lord Jesus, the day of the arrival of the bridegroom, when it comes, it suddenly is too late. That's what makes me laugh. When people say that, uh, you know, some people come and give testimonies. This brother gave his whole January salary and then his life was not the same again. By the next month, he had bought a car. By, by the middle of the year, 
He had almost finished roofing his house. By December, he packed in. Then people now collect their next year's salary and start rushing. Let me say to you, that anointing had already expired. By the time you heard that testimony, the anointing had expired. You know, many pastors don't realize it. They keep on confusing the people of God. The moment that guy got up and shared the testimony, the anointing had expired. If it really happened like that. So don't bother. Forget, eat your next January salary like you had last year. So your life will not change. Whether you eat it, don't eat it. Don't eat it. <laughs> it makes no difference. What am I going to say? The one that counts is the one you did out of understanding, not, at, not out of, let me enter that guy's testimony. I used to say those in those days to me, God forgive me, you know. <laughs> I didn't know. I just said, yeah, connect with this blessing. Connect nonsense connection. It, it doesn't <laughs> connect. The wire don't, don't corrode. It's not, they, they forget it. Nobody give it. There's someone who wants to connect with this testimony right now. I want to connect. What is connected? Like the way God did it for him. Listen. Once, no, think about it. No, just think about it. Assuming that God has sense. Can we assume that for a moment? That our God, they think. Because, no, we preach as if he doesn't think. Imagine. Elijah got to the house of the widow. And he says, give me that meal. The, uh, the widow gave it to him. And then flew through the flow. Then somebody now went to the town. Oh boy? Or oh, oh girl? Did they hear? You know, my mind make us house. That's why the prophet came yesterday. Now, see food. You know the finish. What happened? My mind make us just give the prophet her last meal. Where your last meal? Yeah, carry. Come. No, Elijah will come out in the morning. See long line of widows with last meals. <laughs> no, but that's what we preach as preach now. Is that not what we preach? So we want to connect with that. <laughs> the prophet will say, girls, girls, listen. The anointing has finished. But you can leave your last meal here. I go chop and move. We never can tell. <laughs> but I can't guarantee you that anything will happen. I can't. I can't guarantee you that anything will happen. But you know we preachers, we stand every day and tell people, the God that did it for the widow of Zarephath, if he will do what she did, he will do what he will do too. No. Once John the Baptist closes shop, the door is shut. Let's bear that in mind. Remember something about John the Baptist many of us seem to forget. The Bible says he did no mighty work. Nothing. They heal one sick person. Every blind person he baptized came out blind. Every single one. Every lame he baptized came out lame. Everyone on the bed of a... No? Take up your pallet and walk. (laughs) Everyone on the pallet. They carried the person off the pallet, dipped in the water, brought him back, put him on the pallet. His people carried him back home. There was nobody that John did any miracle for. But people kept on thronging there. Why? Because he told them the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what I'm preaching to the people of God again today. That the kingdom of God is what? At hand. What do I mean by the kingdom of God? The days of the manifestation of the power of God is at hand again. That is a prophetic word. If you want to participate in it, if you want to enjoy it, 
you it is now. When listen, you know, we began all of this by trying to explain why Jesus did what he did. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of missing out of the eternal plan of God. Everything laid with him. If he did it wrongly, bam, that's it. So he began to pray. So there are prayers we are supposed to pray. Try me, O Lord. Know my heart. Do you get my point? Because sometimes you think you are right, but you are wrong. I said at the beginning, this bragging of I'm saved, so I'm safe. You don't need it. Because you can be so cost saved and miss out entirely on what God wants to do in this generation. You can be so cost saved and you are not useful to him in any way. You can be so cost saved and you can't represent him effectively. You can be so cost saved and he gets tired of you. That's what we are talking about. Walk out with what? Fear and trembling. I tell people, listen, when I make decisions, I think of many things. I think of the Lord. But really, thinking of the Lord is not of as much practical significance as thinking of, you know, you said there are two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the second is like unto the first. The question was, which one is the greatest of the commandments? So what do you think? Say, love the Lord thy God. They say, okay, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments we know. Now the point I'm making is that, what was Jesus saying? If you love the Lord, it will manifest as what? Love your neighbor. So when I'm thinking of the Lord, it's not just him, him I'm thinking of. I make decisions, I think about it. How will I affect people that listen to me? How will it affect my home? What kind of spirit am I pouring into the lives of my children? I give another example. We have a nation that God has placed us in, in as exiles. He said we should seek the good of that nation. We should work for his prosperity. We should entreat the Lord on his behalf. So sometimes we say, God, let there be order in this society. It compels that it puts a compulsion on me not to be the one breaking the rules. So I'm in a hurry. The light turns red. Then you stop. Then one guy will go beside you. Before I used to get angry. But ever since I learned my mission, it's not patience I'm doing there. We may say, Pastor Bang, you are patient. No, I'm praying. He said, You are praying. Hey, Papa. No, no, I'm not opening my mouth. I mean, I have said to God, please, let there be order in this society. This is my seed for order. Beginning, that is, being a seed. Are you getting my point? Yes. Being one that obeys order. That's something I need to do. I hope you are getting my point. You hate exam malpractice? Because you must never participate directly, indirectly, covertly, overtly, whichever way. You know what that means? You will fail. Oh, you think if, uh, when you say to God, I will not do it. No, 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 God, let's see whether you are serious. After, after you don't, you've read and read and read, the lecturer will go, you know, <laughs> we, we, we used to have this thing when we were young. So they say, oh, let me give it to you, Yoruba. How many of you play table tennis? Uh-huh, exactly. And don't show yourself, you know, don't show serve. That is, I don't know, it doesn't have an English word, I don't know. 
That is, I, I had a classmate that time. I st- I'm still angry till today. <laughs> the guy was an expert in short serve. You know, like normal service, you carry the ball like that. The guy go look like this. Bro, this will just come from <laughs> just come from your day. <laughs> and you will get angry. Except I did not break any rule. The ball let his hand bounce on his side and hit your side. But by the time you are diving, <laughs> you enjoy yourself. That guy was an expert in it. The annoying part is that he will use that useless practice to, 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 to defeat you. So if you had the choice to play, you don't want to play. Leave it. I'm not playing. Leave it. <laughs> Leave it. The guy will do like this, like this. You're quickly reading. He needs you for. So sometimes, your lecturer does that. Drops one short serve question. After you don't read, God knows now. Anyway, you know, the Lord did that one for you. He made you hungry to check what is what? Inside your heart. Every decision you make is a seed. What did I say? Every decision is a seed. Every decision is a seed. Be it in mind. That was why Jesus spent time praying. Let me give you that prayer point as we close. Lord, search me. Try me. Know my heart. There are many things we do out of anxiety. What are the things I'm doing out of anxiety? What are the things I'm doing because I'm seeing the God of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity? A lot of people don't realize that these things exist. They say, I'm saved. Ah. Was that, Simon was also saved. Simon the sorcerer. He was also saved. He was baptized. But Peter looked at him and said, no. You are still in the God of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. You know what that means? His father used to say to him when he was young, you will never amount to anything. He joined the old court to prove his father wrong. I've seen many people like that. They can ne- Listen, their pursuit of money is to prove some people wrong. There are many things that are pushing people in life. And when you give your life to Christ, many times they don't go away. What happened to um, Simon the sorcerer? It was that he had given his life to Christ. But those portions of him had not been removed. He couldn't understand being in the background. So he said, listen, if how to make it to the front in this church is to be giving offerings. You know, a man told me once, he said, this is how it is done. He said, like this is your car now. That day, I, was, I was in my car. He said, you just take it to the church and say the pastor, the Lord laid upon my heart to give to the ministry. He said, you start bringing your seed. He said, before you know what's happening, you are sitting in front. It, he told me this. He said, before you know what's happening, you are sitting in front. Then after, what, after that, they give you your own branch. Then you start enjoying. He was mocking when he was saying, he said that, that that's how it happened in their own church. But I, he asked me some questions. It looked like a... <laughs> Do you want to chop from this ministry? He said, grow your church and start enjoying. And he burst into laughter. Because he was making mockery of what he was saying. A lot of people are serving for that reason. That also happened to Simon the sorcerer. Some of the good things we are doing with call church, you need to pray. Lord, 
Check whether there's any anxious thought. But what I'm going to say, that's the prayer we need to pray. That's the prayer we need to pray. Let me end with this. That prayer is from Psalm 139. Maybe we should just read it. All right? Oh, that will be the first verse we are reading today, right? You know, my Bible is open halfway to Romans chapter 8. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to it hopefully next time. Let's just read that Psalm 139. And then um, I will say something in line with the main thing we have been teaching. From verse 23. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. What was it saying? The hurtful ways in us that are not already cleansed are the reasons why we will not get a hundredfold return. Remember we we're, we're talking about that. The time, the time will pass. We will not make the right choices because of anxious thoughts. Those are the reasons why we miss out on what God wants to do. Let me just end with something here. Like I said, bear this in mind. Once we give our lives to Christ, we are reconciled to God the Father. Amen? God now puts at that point a spirit in us. is the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God that makes us children of God. With that, we have the ability to be cleansed. Without that, we can only struggle to change our ways. I hope you're getting my point. I just wanted to drop this one so that we can, if the Lord allows us, we can to develop that next time. We have the duty as believers to work on ourselves every day until the image of Christ is perfected in us. Let me say it again. That, those are the three aspects of salvation. The first one is reconciliation. At that point in time, we are declared righteous. I thought today I would speak about righteousness, but I couldn't get there. All right? They haven't been declared righteous. We are not righteous because of what we have done. We are righteous because of relationships. That is, our relationship with God the Father is the reason why we are righteous. Faith is the reason why we are righteous. When we come to God, I'll talk about repentance and faith along the line. We must come in true repentance, not in convenient repentance. And listen to me, God makes that demand. Let, let nobody lie to you that he doesn't. There's a story David Paulson told about the young girl who came to him. She gave her life to Christ, but something was just not right. The Holy Spirit was pushing her. So she said she's been praying and praying for days. She doesn't know what's going on. came to David Paulson and said, sir, what is the problem? What could be the problem? I'm trying to be a Christian. And as he was speaking, Paulson was praying, and the Holy Spirit just put a question in his mouth, and he asked her directly. He said, that young man you are living with, are you married to him? He had never met the girl, did not know where she was living. It's the Holy Spirit that just put the question in, her mouth, in his mouth. And she looked like, no, we are not married. And he said, why not? That the man doesn't believe in marriage. That the marriage said the man says just a piece of paper. And the person said, "Well, for Christ, it's called adultery or fornication, whichever you want to call it. He does not accept that. If you are not married with him, married to him, you cannot live with him." This is the point. That was how. What that was the demand of God. I'm sorry to say it like this for her salvation. You are not paying for salvation. You are proving the genuineness of your faith. The person stood there. He said that, I wish I could tell you that she listened to me. Because the girl turned, cried, and ran away. 
A rich young ruler came to Jesus. That was the response also. He turned and walked away. Very sad. Faith must be proven to be genuine. At the point that we come to God with genuine faith, it puts the spirit of Christ in us. And one major sign of repentance, true repentance, we'll talk about it, is baptism. It's a, it's a sign they give. The idea is that people know that now I'm drawing away my old life and I'm coming up with a new one. The water does not save anybody. It doesn't. That's why Paul said that God didn't send me to baptize. But it's just a sign. But what I want to emphasize is that it's an old life removed and a new one birthed. At that point, Christ puts his spirit inside you. For time's sake, I want to end now. But if you see, after he rose up from the dead, he came into the room where the disciples were gathered. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he did that day? Now, I hope you know, the Holy Spirit did not come from heaven upon them that day, did he? Later, there was a day of Pentecost. And he said that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then what, was, what joke was now cracking that day now? Have you ever asked yourself that question? It's simple. That was when they got a new life that is in Christ Jesus. Nobody could get it until he died and rose again from the dead. And he went to the Father and collected it. So he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The same way God breathed life into Adam at the beginning. He breathed new life into them. From that day, the men began to be transformed. What they received on the day of Pentecost was not the new life in Christ. It was the power to be effective. Let's bow down ahead. We'll develop it if the Lord allows us. I'm always trying to go up from there next time. But um, you get down here. The owner of your life takes over your tongue. <laughs> Let's give the Lord thanks. Let's just give him thanks. Say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.